welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the 2012 Christmas Day service. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Well, of course, as we gather on Christmas Day, around the world people celebrate Christmas in lots of different ways. There's one thing that ought to be central to any celebration of any kind, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, a lot of people can do things for the wrong reasons, but we can do them for the right reasons. Uh, if there's anything that uh, deserves celebrating this time of the year, it is the birth of our Savior. Uh, as we, I guess, look around so many times, he seems to, uh, uh, to get lost in all of the uh, the shuffle of uh, of Christmas, and uh, I remember reading something that uh, uh, that tells us that uh, how that we know that Christmas is getting near by most of the world. Uh, there are signs that, that you know it's getting close. Uh, says when that uh, there are more pine needles on your carpet than on your tree. Uh, when the credit card is smoked along with the turkey and the ham. Uh, when It's a Wonderful Life has been shown for the 13th time, uh, when a trip to the mall and back is uh, more challenging than the Indy 500, uh, when the Salvation Army bell ringers start accepting credit cards, uh, when you're pulling an all-nighter because the words, some assembly required, remember those are supposed to be easy to follow instructions, but there is some assembly required, uh, your Christmas list is written in black while your checkbook balance is written in red. Uh, all these guys in their fancy red suits, uh, jolly laughter with their belly shaking, it's not the only thing that's shaking like a bowl of fruit full of jelly. The NFL referees are not the only ones that are giving away games, and the infamous fruitcake returns from its 12 months of hiding. And... Uh, and, you know, sadly, the thing is, as we look at those things, that uh, to many people, that really is what Christmas is about. All the spending, uh, all the uh, commercialism, uh, all the things that uh, have absolutely nothing to do with, uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ whatsoever. And uh, I remember that, uh, um, I remember reading a, a story about a, a little girl that, uh, you know, she, she just really looked and tried to figure out this whole thing uh, about Christmas, but she watched her, her mom and dad and what it was that they were doing to get ready for Christmas. Uh, it seemed like that the closer they got to Christmas, that the more dad was all preoccupied with all these things, all these bundles and all these burdens and everything else, and mom was so concerned with the, uh, the parties and the presents and all this that... Uh, they just didn't have any time for the little girl whatsoever. Uh, matter of fact, it seemed that uh, that time of the year, the words that became the most common to her was just, would you please just get out of the way? So one night in, in uh, December as Christmas was approaching, she was overheard as she knelt beside her bed, and these were the words that she prayed. She said, Our Father who art in heaven, Please forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's so sadly 
the way it is in so many households this day that we're here today to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Uh, it becomes all about the spending. It becomes all about all the things that that is not what Christmas is about at all. And, uh, and part of our reason for uh, gathering here this morning is once again to focus our attention this day. I hope you do have a nice Christmas dinner with family, and a little laughter and joy and all those things to follow, but it's his birth that we're celebrating. Uh, we don't know that it was December 25th. I've said this so many times. Uh, if you uh, uh, read one of the leaflets that we put so many out through the doors, we you know, try to make it clear in there, we're, we're, we're not focusing upon a date. We're celebrating an event, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know the date on the calendar. Uh, they didn't have birth certificates in those days that we have to pull out to prove what day and hour that we were born on. But we know the event took place, and it's the event that we celebrate, and that's what we who that we want to remember and why that we are here today. And just really a few simple thoughts, reminders. Uh, I said on Sunday that, you know, we hear the Christmas story over and over and over again. But, you know, the story never gets old. Uh, it never gets tiresome to hear about our Lord being born. A few of the passages as we tried on Sunday morning during the carol service to read through all of the passages in the Scriptures that were pointing to our Lord and of course, particularly to his birth. We read this one in Isaiah 7, 14 that says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Behold, let me get your attention. You know, many times we do things and we, you know, we've got all these people that we want to tell something very important to, but the first thing we have to do, it doesn't, doesn't matter if we tell them if nobody hears and if nobody's listening. And oftentimes the first thing we have to do is to get their attention. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Behold, that's what the angel was saying to him. And that's what the message that needed to get out. There's something important that needs to be said here. God is going to do something very spectacular. God is going to do something that has never been done before. He's going to show you that it's him that was doing it because a virgin is going to conceive this child. It's not going to happen in the normal ways, which in itself, what God meant the family to be when he, uh, when he brought man and woman into this world and the way that he meant for each and every individual to be so unique and so individual. And yet, a part of that mom and that dad that brought them into this world. And that's one of the uniqueness about each and every one of us. But this one was going to be born without that natural father, without that normal process that God had, had designed that was so miraculous within itself. But in this case, it says this one, this one that's coming, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. And of course, we find that uh, that prophecy was perfectly fulfilled in, in the New Testament as we read about it there. Uh, 
But Isaiah told us something else in the couple of chapters more in, in Isaiah chapter 9. And he told us there in verse 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You know, I think one of the things for many people that is so hard to conceive and to understand is why in the world? Why in the world would God, God, the creator of the universe, God that, that holds the power of the universe in his hands, why would he come back to earth? I told a story here once before that I'd like to remind you of this morning, which I think was just a very wonderful illustration of showing us why Christ came to this earth. Why did God himself, he said here that, you know, that a child is born, a son is given. He was born as a child in this earth, but he was given as a son from God above. There was a man that just flat out did not believe in God. And he was not shy about letting everybody else know it. He didn't hesitate to communicate his feelings to all those around it. He wanted nothing to do with the church. He wanted nothing to do with anybody's religion and certainly not any religious holidays. But his wife did believe. She was a faithful servant that loved the Lord and faithfully worshiped the Lord and prayed for her husband and took the children along uh, to church and tried to teach them to have faith in God. Despite all the disparaging comments that she was always getting around the house because he just made fun of it all and made light of it. One evening it was snowing. The wife had taken the children to, uh, to a service in this farm community and they were there as they were approaching Christmas to talk about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. As she often did, she went and she asked her husband if, if he would come along. And, you know, his comment was something like, oh, that story is just nonsense. It's just nonsense. Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? He said, it doesn't make any sense. It's not even rational. It's ridiculous. The wife and the children left. He stayed at home. A little while later, the winds began to, to blow and the snow began to fall harder and it really turned into a blizzard. So he looked out the window. He couldn't see anything except just this blinding snowstorm. So he sat down before the fire to just relax and be warm. All of a sudden, he heard this real loud thump. Kind of got his attention, and a few minutes later, he heard a thump. What in the world is that? He looked out, but he couldn't see more than just a few feet. He couldn't tell what in the world was this thumping sound. The snow began to let up a little bit, and he ventured outside to see what it was that was thumping against the windows of his house. He looked out into the field near the house, and he saw this flock of wild geese. I mean, just, just filled full of these wild geese that were out there. Apparently, they'd been making their journey 
south for the winter. And they got caught in this snowstorm. They simply couldn't fly any further because the snow itself, the storm was so uh, strong that it uh, caused them to have to land. But they were lost. They were stranded. Uh, they didn't have any food. They didn't have any shelter. They were just out in the wide open with all of this snow that was falling, and they were not equipped to deal with all of that. He looked out and he saw that they literally were just flapping their wings and, and, and flying around low to the ground in circles and accomplishing absolutely nothing. Well, the man did have some feeling and he felt sorry for them and he, he was trying to figure out because he knew that if he just left them, there's no way they're going to survive. They're going to all, they're going to be, if they're not covered up, they're going to be frozen to death out there because they've got no protection whatsoever. So he went out and he opened the big doors on his barn and he opened those barn doors and he thought it's, you know, it's warm and it's safe and, and they can just flood into the barn here and they can get away from the, the winter and they can get out of the storm. They can be saved. So he went over and he opened those doors to the barn and he watched and he waited and he said, well, surely they'll have enough sense to come into the barn. But it was as if they didn't even notice. They didn't know that there was even anything there. They just began to continue to flutter around aimlessly. They didn't uh, uh, show any uh, uh, sign whatsoever to be moving to the safety that he was trying to provide for them. And he tried to start getting their attention. First of all, he tried to scare them. He thought, you know, that if he could get behind them and, and scare them, that they would, they would surely run towards the barn for protection. But they didn't. They just scattered every direction except the barn, it seemed like. He went into the house and he got some bread and he began to, to break it up and form a little trail of, of, of bread to, from, from the geese to the barn. But... It was as if they just ignored it as the bread fell into the snow. They didn't even notice it. They didn't even pay any attention to it. They just didn't catch on. He began to get very frustrated because he could see how much danger that they were really in. There was no way that they could survive this. He went out again and he just started trying to, to shoo them, kind of like you would cattle or something, to, to get them in. But again, they went every way except the right way. So then he had an idea. He had his own geese in the barn. And so he went to the barn and he got one of his geese. And of course, he took it to the other side and he released that geese. That geese knew the way home. That goose took off and he flew straight, straight towards the barn. And as, and as he went towards the barn, the others began to follow. They entered the barn in the safety one by one as they followed the other. And he stood there for a moment and he remembered his words that he had thought before. He said, you know, when I was trying to get those geese in the barn, he said, my first thought was, boy, if I were only a goose, if I were only a goose, I could get them to follow me. And finally, I did think that I had a goose that they would follow, but if I could only do that, I could save them. He thought about what he'd said to his wife earlier. Why would God want to be like us? Why would God leave heaven and come to us? That's ridiculous. And suddenly, 
It all made sense to him. That's what God had done. We were like those blind, lost geese out there just running around and nothing to hope for except to perish. There was nothing else that could possibly happen. But God sent his son in flesh like us as a man so that he could show us the way to safety. He knows the the winds and the blinding snow began to, to die down. His soul became quiet. He pondered things for the very first time that he'd ever thought of in his life. He suddenly understood why Christ had to come as a man, why he couldn't come as anything else. All of his years of doubt and disbelief, they vanished as he come to realize what God had done when he sent his son to save him. You know, that's really what we're reading about here in the prophet Isaiah was writing and that we see fulfilled then in the New Testament is that God sent his son because there was no other way. He couldn't come as anything else and show us the way. He had to come as a man in order to show us the way. Of course, he couldn't come as anything else to take our sins, die for us, to be in our place. We find that mathematically, there's a, there's a, uh, I read in a book called Science Speaks that if you take just uh, uh, eight uh, prophecies from uh, the Old Testament and you apply the scientific method of of probabilities to it, and you try to work out uh, just what the chances of all of those prophecies being fulfilled in one person. Now, scientifically, when you took at all the different things that were prophesied would happen in the way that they happened, it came out to something like one to one in the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros after it. That would be called a one quadrillion, and he gave this illustration. He, he used the state of Texas, which was the largest state in the continental U.S. there. It's about the same size as the country of Spain, land-wise. And he said if you took just a, 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 a coin, he used a silver dollar because he was uh, there in the, uh, in the U.S.A., and uh, it would be about the size of one of our 50p pieces. And he said, if you covered the entire state of Texas, you would have to cover it two feet deep in order to get that one to the 17th power. Two feet deep. And he said, if you took one of those 50p pieces and you put an X on it, and in a place the size of Texas, covered two feet deep, in coins, you had one chance alone in all of those coins to pick that right one. That's the odds of one person fulfilling all the prophecies that were given in this one that was coming as Emmanuel, as God with us. This one that was being born in a miraculous way like no other had ever been born before. He came for us. You see, God needed to make himself understandable. We find that 
In chapter 9, verse 6 here, he goes on and he says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. You know, one day, <laughs> he's coming back, and he will sit upon the throne, and he will govern this world like it's supposed to be governed by God. He said, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. In the, in the original, you got four names here that are, that, are, that are all pairs, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. Have you ever had to have counseling? I don't know of any human being alive that hasn't had to have counsel beginning as a child from those parents and those grandparents and those around that are responsible for their learning. As we go to begin to move from childhood to adulthood, people to give us wise counsel, many of the choices that we make at that time in our life will affect the entire rest of our life. As adults, I was talking to somebody this week, <laughs> Talked to a lot of people this week, and we were just talking about the fact, though, and it might have been one of you on Sunday, I don't know, about the little simple choices that sometimes don't seem to make a whole lot of difference. And yet we look back and we see that the whole course of our life was changed because of one decision we made, because of one choice that we made. And then that's filled with other choices and other decisions. But if you went back and took away just that one decision, that one choice that we made at that point, our whole life would have been different. Now, there's a lot of people that you can get good counsel from, that you should have confidence in. But let me ask you this. This was God. This was God coming to this earth. Who better? You know, I don't care who it is, man gets things wrong, but who better to get our counsel from than the one that knows the beginning from the end, the one that's been there from the beginning to the end, that is the beginning and the end. He knows it all. He sees the whole picture. We can be as sincere as we want to, and we can, we can use the very best knowledge that we have, and yet we see such a tiny segment of the whole picture, this one, Jesus, he would be the most wonderful counselor that ever was. That word wonderful there, it comes from the word wonder, which literally is indicative of a miraculous accomplishment by God. <laughs> he was going to be that wonderful counselor that could miraculously counsel us Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man, he would be the one that could give us the counsel above all counsel. Of course, the mighty God. That speaks volumes. We don't need to expand it. The mighty God, not just the Son of God. The mighty God. Speaks of his strength. It speaks of his power. Victory is a word that was used with a, with, with when the warrior was going out into battle the power, the strength, everything, all that he had to take it on. He is the mighty God, the one that holds all the might and the power. And at the same time that he, that he is this mighty power, at the same time he is the everlasting Father, that compassionate one, that one that's there to love and to care for all of eternity, the author of eternal life, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's there to be a father. You know, all earthly fathers fail. 
Some fail more than others, but there are no perfect earthly fathers. We do have a perfect heavenly father, the everlasting father. He will never forsake us. He will never let us down. He will never not be there when we need him. He's always there, the prince of peace. I mentioned on Sunday that there was an announcement of peace that accompanied him into this world when the angels gathered and they said, peace on earth, goodwill towards man. And it was peace, the message of peace when he left this world, when Jesus himself, with all of his troubled apostles there, he said, peace be unto you. As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. But he's the only one. Men strive for peace, some more earnestly than others. But folks, it's never been found. There's never been a time when all men everywhere were ever at peace with each other. There's always something to fight about. There's something else to to lift up arms over. But he is the prince of peace. He is the one that is coming back to set up his kingdom. And for the first time since the Garden of Eden, he'll bring true peace to this earth. That's the Jesus. That's the one that's coming. Must you see, God wanted to make himself understood. There was a Danish philosopher from the mid-1800s that was a Christian theologian, and his name was Soren Kierkegaard. Now, he told a story that has been, I guess, changed and used in different ways down through the years. But he told the story of a prince that wanted to to find a maiden that was suitable to be his queen. One day while he was running an errand in the local village for his father, he passed through a very poor section of town. As he glanced out the windows of the carriage, his eyes fell on the most beautiful peasant maiden, most beautiful maiden of any kind, but she was a peasant, that he'd ever laid eyes on during the days that followed. He would often go by that way just to try to to get a glimpse of that young lady. And before you know it, there was something began to happen in his heart, and he was beginning to fall in love with this peasant. But of course, he had a problem. How could he possibly seek her hand to be his bride? I mean, he could always go out and order her to marry him. We talked about that on Sunday, how that I could have kidnapped my wife and made her my wife, but that wouldn't have made for a very loving, healthy relationship. (laughs) He said, well, that, that just wouldn't do. Even though he was a prince, he could have done that. But you know, even a prince who wants to marry his bride because that they love each other, not because she's been forced to. He could always try to put on his most splendid uniform and he could drive up to her door in his best carriage with his six horses out front and just and just try to impress her. But, of course, then he would never know if she really loved him or if it was just for all that he had. So he had to come up with a solution. He would just give up his kingly robe. 
He would put away all of that that was his by being a prince. He would move into the village where this peasant lived. And instead of going in with his robes and his crown, he would go in the same garb of a peasant that they wore. He'd live among the people, share their interest, share their concerns, talk their language, and then and only then, in time, could he know that if that love could grow, if the maiden grew to love him then, that she would love him because of who he was. She would love him because he first loved her and was showing his love to her. And you know that simple childlike story is exactly what John is describing in his gospel when he said that God came and lived amongst us. Emmanuel being interpreted as God with us when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, God came to us so that we could understand Him, so that we could know Him. Jesus came to reveal Himself in an understandable way. You know, part of the problem today is that we have a great, great problem trying to understand God in our heads because it's just so big. It's just so powerful. I mean, his love is so great. We struggle with things like heaven and hell because we have nothing on this earth to compare them to. God became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And Isaiah said in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. I'll give you this in closing. There's much I could say, but today I'm just sharing from my heart. This is Christmas Day. Why are we celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ? Why would God lower himself to come to this earth, to live amongst us, to live the life that we live day by day by day? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly, and I leave you with these simple thoughts. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, it says, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. It was from God. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Just like that farmer went out to save those geese. He came amongst them so that he could save them. He sent his geese amongst them so that they would follow him. Simple truth is, God came amongst us to save us. He came here to save us from our sins because we had no sacrifice that was sufficient. Matthew 1, 23, he says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. 
The very first verse that I remember learning as a little boy, my very first part as a little lad in the Christmas play when we memorized our little scripture parts was in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And amazing, all those years, that verse never left, which simply says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior. That's what he came, to save us. Because all have sinned. We're all in need. We would all simply perish if he didn't save us because the wages of sin is death. But God came to give us that greatest gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why? Because God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love Christmas. I love Christmas for a lot of things, the joy that it brings as far as family and you, our church family. I love it because it's a time of the year when often those that will not listen to me about Jesus any other time of the year, they'll put up with me at Christmas because it's Christmas. People, people get a good spirit. It's, it's, it's like I, I, I took Shelly to Heathrow yesterday to catch her flight. And by the way, she texted me from New York this morning when she had arrived there safely getting ready for the second leg. But we were there at the counter and, and, and the lady was, was talking and oh, Shelly and her bags, it was like three kilos over the weight limit. <laughs> That's after she had already took stuff out at our house because I told her it was too heavy. And... Uh, she looked at the woman and she said, is that going to be a problem? She says, I'm in the Christmas spirit. She put this big tag on it and said, it'll be okay now. You know, People are in good spirits. I talked to this lady and I, and I said to her, I said, you know, I said, she's got 32 hours journey. I said, I went on last night and I said, there were no windows to where she could lay her head. There was, there was absolutely, you know, nothing except this, this aisle seat there in the middle I said, is there anything else that's available on the plane that, uh, that just might uh, uh, be able to give her more sleep and rest because 32 hours is a long time? And uh, she said, I don't have any other seats available there. She said, just leave it with me. I'll see what I can do. We went to have a bite to eat before she went through security, and, and uh, I think Amber and Shelly thought we'd flipped out, just started praying and just asked the Lord, you know, Lord, you know what she needs. Just do something here. She got to the gate. They upgraded her to business class, free. Didn't charge a thing for it with one of those nice beds that'll just lay out to where she could sleep on the way. The thing is, is that uh, would that lady have done that? Well, God can do wonderful things, but I'm saying, you know, people do nice things just because they get in the Christmas spirit, a giving spirit that maybe they don't have any other time of year. And that's good. But you see, that's not, that's maybe a result. That's not what Christmas is about. It's about the greatest gift of all when God gave us his son. Oh, we celebrate him today. We serve a great God. We can never fully comprehend him in our feeble minds. and We, we never will until one day maybe when he says that we'll be just like him, maybe we'll finally understand him. You see, if, if we fully understand him, if we knew everything about him, we'd be gods ourselves. And we're humans, but he came amongst us because he loved you so much. This Christmas, let's remember the Christ child.
that loved you. Sadly, it shouldn't be just Christmas Day that we remember him. But thank God it brings some people to think upon things just like these, all these leaflets that we put through the doors. Most of them probably go in the dustbin, never read. But a few of them are, just to remind people, hey, this is what the season is really about. This is what we are celebrating when we celebrate Christmas. So I hope you have a wonderful day. But don't forget what we're celebrating today. We've got so much to thank him for, so much to praise him for. And I trust and pray that even just our coming together here this morning to take this time together to go to his birth, to just be reminded of what God did for us, that that'll be a blessing to you as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much this morning for each and every one that is here. I thank you, Lord, that we could have this time at least to focus our attention not upon the tinsel and the trees and the gifts and the packages and the dinner and all that takes place, but that we could focus our attention upon you. And I pray that it's helped us to do that. And I pray that for each one here today, Lord, you would allow that still small voice to speak to them by the power of your Spirit, reminding them of your Son, why he was sent. The choice that each and every one of us, we talked about, Lord, we all make choices and decisions that affect all of our life, but none like that choice of what we do with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, here today, as we remember him, as we put our faith and trust in him, Lord, that this would be a day that's centered upon him and not the things around us. We give you the praise and the thanks for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.